place for the Forge Program lecture on the wisdom literature, focusing in on the Psalms. And so this is part one of a three-part lecture on the Psalms as wisdom literature, and that's what we'll be covering. And so a few announcements for you for Forge Program participants. If you're listening to this, you're watching this, um, a couple of things to note. One, um, the time is quickly approaching for your doctrinal statements to be due. They'll be due at our next in-person class. Um, additionally, we're asking for a written prayer. Now, we'll get into the Psalms today, and any of the Psalms could be a template for your written prayer assignment. Maybe it's a prayer of thanksgiving, it's a prayer of praise, it's a prayer of lament, it's a prayer of intercession, all sorts of different formats and templates for prayer. Uh, Caroline has shared the notes with you on what that written prayer assignment should look like, and we want you to turn that in. And we, uh, it's really cool to get to see those prayers, and then we'll try to do our best to collect them in a way so that you can have all of them at the end of the year. And uh, it's kind of a way to walk away feeling like, man, I, I've internalized a lot of these things that I've learned as well. And so today we'll be covering the Psalms. Like I said, this is part one of a three-part lecture on the Psalms. And so let me share my screen with you and we will jump in to this lecture. All right, um, so hopefully you can see my screen now, but as we jump into this lecture, I want to just begin with this, your main idea for this evening, okay? The big idea for this lecture is this, kingdom participants understand that all of life is lived quorum Deo, which means before the very face of God. The wise person is continually learning to live all of life in accordance with the Christian story, Christian beliefs, and formed into the image of Christ Jesus. Um, we have a way of thinking about the Psalms as this kind of very, these abstract poems that just are, you know, they're kind of, uh, they kind of mean whatever you want them to mean. They can kind of stand on their own. Um, but really the Psalms are connected to a much bigger story. And that's the story that we've been covering over the course of this year in the Forge program. We've been talking about that God is determined to have his people delight in living their whole lives in his presence to reflect his purposes and his place. So these Psalms are really a hymn book and a prayer book in light of this story that Israel finds itself in and the story that we find ourselves in. And so it'd probably be helpful to just start with an introduction to the Psalms. Before we do that, I I'm gonna do what we should do if we're gonna begin um, looking through the Psalms. I'm going to read Psalm 1 uh, and just start where the psalmist starts. And so I'll read Psalm 1, and I'm going to try to read it slowly and emphatically so that we can kind of walk through it together. It'd also be good for me because it's like 6 a.m., uh, and I'm still trying to wake up. So let me read Psalm 1 for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Well, when we begin with the Psalms, we open up on something that I think is in crucial is crucial for us to understand that the Psalms are are really a part of the larger narrative of the Old Testament. There are 150 Psalms uh, in the Bible, and the canonical Old Testament is often called both the Songbook of Israel and the Prayer Book of the Church. 
the Psalms are, there's 150 of them. It's a lot. It's, it's huge. It occupies kind of the most amount of space that you're going to find for a single book. But really, it's better to think about the Psalms as five books that have been kind of collated together or collected together. These five books are divided, or these five sub groups. Uh, we'll get into a little bit later, but the Psalms themselves contain more direct statements about God uh, than any other book in the two testaments of the Christian canon. Uh, the works of God and the attributes of God are the content of the Psalms. Fundamentally, and this is what you got to see right out of the gate with the Psalms, the Psalms are primarily about God. Okay, we often think about the Psalms as a place we go devotionally to get some kind of good stuff for us. But the Psalms, like the rest of the Bible, are primarily about God and what he has done. Now, when we think about the Psalms place in the Bible, we need to see them as a part of wisdom literature. And I have to be honest with you, this lecture started out as a lecture on wisdom literature, not just the Psalms, but on wisdom literature. And I recorded it and it was four and a half hours long. So um, it was too long. <laughs> so I'll have to talk with Caroline about maybe adding a lecture next year. Uh, we'll do one on the Psalms and then one on the rest of the wisdom literature. But after I recorded it, I thought I cannot in good faith send them a four and a half hour lecture on wisdom literature. Uh, and so, uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the Psalms and their place in the larger group of wisdom literature in the Bible. So when we think about wisdom literature, specifically in the Old Testament, we're really talking about five books, okay? Um, we're talking about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Now, uh, these five books comprise what's often called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Now, wisdom literature, if you're just looking for a very basic definition of wisdom literature, I have to be careful that I don't slip into that lecture because then we'll go four and a half hours. If you're looking for a very ba basic definition of wisdom literature, wisdom literature is this. Wisdom literature is God's instruction in how to live a righteous life in the midst of a broken world. I mean, that's what wisdom literature is about. Now, each one of these books approaches that differently. Job is a narrative or begins with kind of a, a narrative, uh, but then really enters into almost a dialogue. It almost looks like a Socratic dialogue between Job and his friends and God. The Psalms is a collection of prayer and poetry and hymns and songs. Proverbs is a little bit like, it's a little bit axiomatic, meaning it's these, these statements. They don't really have a uh, they don't have like a clear narrative thread, like the Proverbs isn't historical narrative. It, it really functions as its own kind of thing in the scope of the Old Testament, which are these, it's a collection of, of Proverbs, of wise sayings. Ecclesiastes has more of that kind of narrative strain um, because we get a little bit more of the context. Uh, but then again, it honestly, Ecclesiastes feels more like an essay. Uh, and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon would probably be more of a poetic narrative. There's certainly, it's certainly poetry, but it also has some of that narrative storytelling component where there's some central characters and they're playing out over the course of the book of Song of Solomon. And so the Psalms occupies uh, one place in these five books of wisdom literature. Uh, and that's really the best way to understand the Psalms as divine wisdom right? When, when Christians pray, sing, or read the Psalms, we allow divine wisdom to be applied and infused into our lives. 
that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are distilled and melodic, so to speak, wisdom. Uh, we also, uh, when we pray, sing, or read the Psalms, we enter into what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the great school of prayer. Uh, it, it, he goes on to say, it teaches us always anew who God is and what God does and which tells us who we are and where we are going. That's really great. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the Psalms the great school of prayer, which teaches us always anew who God is and what God does. It's primarily a book about God and which tells us who we are and where we are going. See, that's that, that's that component of knowledge of God, knowledge of self that we've been talking about this year. The, the increasing knowledge that we have about who God is and what he has done, the increasing clarity we have around who we are and what God is calling us to do. And so the Psalms are absolutely crucial and have been crucial in the life of the church since its inception because they were crucial in the life of Israel. Let me give you a context note about the Psalms. We often think about the Psalms as David's private journal, right? Um, and it's important to note here that while David is the author of many of the Psalms, it's clear that David is not the author of all of the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms were emerging out of Israel's corporate life of worship together. Uh, David wrote many of them. Um, I, honestly, I don't have the percentage of how many he wrote, but David is certainly attributed as the author of many of the Psalms, but not all of the Psalms should be understood as coming directly from the pen of David. Regardless of who wrote them, if we think about the Psalms as primarily a private journal, then we're going to have a very one-dimensional view of the Psalms, because many of the Psalms were meant to be sung in a corporate assembly of God's people, of Israel. Uh, some of the Psalms were for special occasions when that happened. Some of the Psalms were sung among God's people. Some of these Psalms probably predate the Davidic and the monarch, uh, the monarch period, uh, and that uh, were were associated with either what came before or what came after uh, the Davidic kingship. And so when we think about the Psalms, it's important that we realize they're not just private prayers. They're not just private journaling. This is corporate worship. And that's what, how the Psalms were used, particularly in the life of Israel and certainly in the history of the church. Um, the Psalms are, uh, gosh, there's basically universal use in the history of the church as a song and prayer book for the Psalms. Many traditions exclusively sang the Psalter, uh, meaning they didn't sing any other songs. Like if you were going to sing in worship, you sang a psalm. Some traditions still only sing the Psalms and still only sing the Psalter, meaning they don't sing like hymns or other worship songs or contemporary stuff. They just sing the Psalms. Uh, some only sing the Psalms with no accompaniment, okay? Now, you don't have to go down those rabbit holes, right? It's not, I'm not saying that's what we should be doing, but here is the reality that we have lost. Um, the Psalms were the central hymn book for the church for the longest period of its life. Uh, and I think that that matters. Uh, their use, their what we sometimes call the reception of the Psalms in the life of the church uh, tells us something about the intended use of them. Uh, the Psalms are God's gift to train us in prayer. They teach us how to do it. Um, they, uh, uh, they tune the patterns of our daily lives to the musical score of God's created order. They bring us into alignment and the Psalms have a unique purpose in being able to remind us of the past, present, and future of who uh, of what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. The Psalms are not timeless, um, but the Psalms can make sense 
of our time in a unique way, regardless of our time. Okay, they are historically situated. They're not timeless. There is a narrative, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. Um, but they are the the spirit uses them uniquely in certain times and ways. Let me get a sip of coffee there. So let's talk a little bit about the Psalms and Christian worship. Uh, this is a great quote from John Calvin, uh, and uh, you know that if it's oh boy, I just lost it. There we go. Um, you know, if I'm talking about something, I'm going to be quoting John Calvin. Um, so let me read this for you. We must have songs not only honorable, but also holy, which are to be like needles to arouse us to pray and praise God, to meditate on his works in order to love him, fear, honor, and glorify him. We will not find better songs, nor ones more appropriate for this purpose than the Psalms, which the Holy Spirit has spoken and made. Therefore, when we sing them, we are certain that God has put the words in our mouth as if they themselves sang in, in us to exalt his glory. And that's an incredible quote. Essentially, what Calvin is saying is like, do you want to know that what you are saying, praying, or singing um, accords with the heart of God for the world? Do you want to have assurance of that? Well, look no further than the Psalms. Look no further than the Psalms. And I think that it's important for us to understand that the community of faith uses and reuses and repurposes and reuses these words because we know them to be more adequate than the words that we have. That's one of the reasons why when people are learning to pray or people are struggling with vitality or sustainability or intentionality in their prayer life, I will tell them, learn to pray the Psalms. Learn to pray the Psalms because as you learn to pray the Psalms, you will find that they will begin like, almost like the hook to a catchy song to just kind of uh, reappear in your heart in moments of crisis and in moments of need. Do you ever find yourself humming a song that you like or humming a song that you've heard? Well, meditating, memorizing, and praying through the Psalms, the Psalms will become like that. They almost become a soundtrack to where when you see things, you'll use the commentary of the Psalms to kind of make sense of them or to talk about them or to relay them to the different aspects of your heart. So I want to, uh, I want to kind of focus in a little bit and talk about the storied situation of the Psalms, because like I said, it is very tempting for us to just approach the Psalms divorced from Israel's story. Like that the Psalms are our own little private thing. And, um, you know, uh, my friend JT, he always says, um, friends don't let friends play roulette with the Psalms. <laughs> which I think is really good. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times when we think about the Psalms, we're like, okay, man, I need to spend some time in the word. Um, I need to pray today. So let me just like, okay, to Psalm 71, here we go. Right. And uh, listen, it's, it's not wrong. Listen, if you're going to open up your Bible and, and read it, um, I want you to do that. Okay. Um, and so don't let that be discouraging. And I certainly have done that on many occasions. My, the dominant way that I pray is I pray uh, through one Psalm a day. Uh, and it usually just accords with whatever day of the month we're on. So if it's Psalm four, I pray either some, or if it's, you know, November 4th, I either pray Psalm 4, Psalm 34, Psalm 64, Psalm 94, Psalm 124. If it's the 5th, then I pray Psalm 5, Psalm 35, Psalm 65, Psalm 95, Psalm 125. So that, that's, that's a fine way 
to just pray and to work through the Psalms. But we have to be careful that as we approach the Psalms, we don't divorce them from the unique historical context that they were in. So you know, as well as I do, knowing that there are 150 Psalms, we cannot go through the historical context for every single Psalm. It just it can't happen. So I do want to give you a little bit of backdrop for these Psalms because I think it will be helpful for us as we move forward. So the Psalms aren't abstract poetic installments, okay? This is not David's private journal. They should be read in light of the rest of the biblical canon, and they function as a doxological commentary. You know what doxological means? Worshipful. They function as a doxological commentary on the Old Testament narrative. Okay, so the Psalms are like trying to make sense of the story that Israel finds themselves in through prayer and hymn and song, okay, and poetry. That's what the Psalms are doing, and um, sometimes we shake them like a magical eight ball, uh, but they are really read, should be read as a unified whole, okay? Um, they have to be read in light of the rest of the Old Testament. It's crucial, uh, and this is important for us as well, because like we've been saying from the beginning, we are narratival creatures. You and I are narratival creatures. Uh, if I can call you back to the quote we use in the first lecture of the Forge program, Alistair McIntyre, I can only answer the question, what am I to do? If I can answer the prior question, what story or stories do I find myself living in? For this lecture and for the purpose of the Psalms, we have to ask, I can only answer the question, what am I to worship? If I can answer the previous question, what story am I in? What story am I in? You know, we are storied creatures. Stories define who we are and what we ought to do. Uh, on the basis of the story that we find ourselves in, it's how we make sense of the world around us. And the Psalms teach us that the worship of God is whatever story we, were li we are living in. We will worship uh, whatever God uh, is central to the story that we are embodying. Right? So we've talked about false stories of individualism and consumerism and nationalism and American civil religion and secularism and scientism and all progressivism and all sorts of false stories. Okay, And we can't tolerate a world that doesn't have meaning. We're constantly trying to make meaning out of the world and stories are how we do that. And the Psalms are, are really there to help us make sense of that world by helping Israel make sense of their world. They show us that we are living in and how to live in further and deeper into God's story as participants in that story. So the narrative of the Psalms, let me give you the high, like meta narrative of the Psalms. Okay, the grand story is this, Israel should keep their hopes alive because they are still expecting an all conquering hero. The son of David will be anointed by Yahweh to rule over the entire world. Okay, that's, let me just, if you're listening, you may need to hear that again. Let me give it to you again. The big story of the Psalms, Israel should keep their hopes alive because they are still expecting an all-conquering hero, the son of David, will be anointed by Yahweh to rule over the entire world. So the story that the Psalms are kind of embedded in is this big idea that God is going to send his son or his king into the world to remake and restore the world, right? Because God is determined to have his whole people delight in living their whole life in his presence to reflect his purposes. And yet there is something that stands in the way, and that is sin and the enemy and brokenness and death. And so God through Israel is going to send a king. And this king will not just bless God's people Israel, he will bless the world through Israel. 
So the major expectation of the Psalms is that the Davidic king is going to rule over the entire earth and all resistance to that will be obliterated. And I mean, I know that sounds a little like, whoa, that's a little startling for the Psalms. I mean, I thought they were just a kind of a feel-good prayer book. And they are, it is a prayer book. But the major expectation here is that a Davidic king is coming. This king will rule over the entire earth and all resistance to that rule will be destroyed. So the entire narrative of the Christian story is expressed in the Psalms. Athanasius says this. He says this, my child, all the books of scripture, both old and new, are inspired by God and useful for instruction as it is written. But to those who really study it, the Psalter, the Psalms, yield a special treasure. Each book of the Bible has, of course, its own particular message. Each of these books, you see, is like a garden which grows one particular kind of fruit. By contra- <coughs> oh, man. Excuse me. By contrast, the Psalter is a garden which, besides its particular fruit, grows also those of all the rest. Essentially, Athanasius is saying the entire form and content of God's revelation, creation, exodus, exile, redemption, fixed in praise, invites our participation, pulling us in. The entire story of redemption is in the Psalms. John Calvin said it like this. He said, they, they, the Psalms, are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. If you've been around Mosaic, if you, I mean, certainly those who are in the Forge program from Mosaic know that in the summers, we pause our series and we jump into the Psalms. We call that series an anatomy of the soul. That's where we get the quote from, is this quote from John Calvin, that the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. They, more than any other book, help us to understand not only the overarching biblical story, but they help us to understand our story. The Psalms so clearly express human experience that it feels like they are our experience. When we read them, it can feel like we are living in them. Even more than that, they put into words uh, which only, they put into words what only our souls can feel. Like the Psalms capture something that feels inexpressible. They capture sorrow and joy and thanksgiving and forgottenness and doubt and skepticism. And this act of remembrance was holy. And in many ways, Israel's whole life of liturgy, the whole of the law, the liturgical use of the law, as I was lecturing about in the Mosaic Covenant and Sinai a couple of weeks ago, was kind of rooted in this act of remembrance, remembering who God is, remembering what he has done, remembering who we are as God's people, remembering his promises, mentally recalling and then participating in the true story of the past. And so when we approach the Psalms, when we approach the Psalms, we are entering into Israel's story, and subsequently as we enter into Israel's story, we enter in more fully to the story that we're living in. So here's the big takeaway from this session, from this lecture. The Psalms, perhaps more than any other book, help us not only to understand the overarching biblical story, they help us to understand our story as well. And so in the next two lecture parts, we're going to talk about the genre of the Psalms and the books of the Psalms. And you may be surprised to find out that the Psalms is really a collection of five books. Gotcha, right? <laughs> That's how the Psalms works, right? Uh, just like hoodwink you. Now, the Psalms are a collection of five subcategories or subgroups of books. So maybe it's better to think about the Psalms as like five volumes. Uh, we're going to talk about the, those volumes. We're going to talk about the different genre that you, of Psalms that you can find. 
And then in the third lecture, we're going to talk about the use of Psalms for Christian discipleship. And so uh, this is going to be in uh, the end of lecture one. Uh, you'll be able to jump into lecture two. You can either listen to it on the podcast or you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, if you have not started your doctrinal statements, start your doctrinal statements. They're due at your next in-person class. Uh, and if you have not started on your written 